first reading today comes from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. And that's on page 6 in your Bibles. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants, after you and with every living creature and with you was that was with you the birds the livestock and all the wild animals all those that came out of the ark with you every living creature on earth i establish my covenant with you never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth and god said This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. I'm reading um, 2 Peter chapter 3 on page 861. The day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God 
and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them in these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Don't you find it encouraging that the Apostle Peter found Paul's writings hard to understand as well? And encouraging. I was, um, I was sharing uh, last Saturday night, uh, every Saturday night we have open encouragement where people can, can come forward and just share what's happening in their lives. Um, I was just sharing that, and I share this with you uh, as your pastor, um, the last few weeks have been actually really hard, um, just been feeling a bit spiritually dry. I don't know whether you've ever gone through that where you know, you're, you read the scriptures uh, and you believe it and you know it, but it's just not, it's not refreshing you in the same way. Um, and people have sent me some verses which have been really encouraging, sort of Psalm 63 about how you thirst for God as in a dry land. And um, I just want to encourage you this morning, if that is you, just stick with the scriptures. Just, just keep reading, keep praying and ask God to, to refresh you. And he has done that this week. He's, he's answered my prayers one this week. As I've, as I've prepared, as I've read the scriptures myself, just being refreshed by the word again. And just being reminded of those truths. So if that's you this morning, feeling a bit dry, just stick with the scriptures. Get friends to pray with you. Get friends to encourage you. We're here looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. You might have heard of a, uh, a pastor in London. He's old now. Um, he used to pastor a church called Langham Place, also as Langham Place. His name's John Stott. In his biography, he's got this great chapter where he talks about the return of Christ. And I'm paraphrasing him, but he basically says, he wakes up every day and he says, good morning, Lord Jesus, please come back today. Good morning, Lord Jesus, please come back today. He's basically praying Revelation 22, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Lord, I just want you to come back. I want to see you. I want the, this world to be wrapped up. I want to be with you. I want to spend eternity with you. Please come back, Lord Jesus. Uh, you might have been here two weeks ago when I quoted Lord Shaftesbury, a great social reformer. He says, I don't think there's been one single hour in the last 40 years that wasn't influenced in some way by the return of my Lord Jesus. Now, that's extraordinary that every day, every hour, the backdrop of his life is, Jesus Christ is going to return, I'm heading for home, I'm heading for heaven. And that shapes everything. And what's challenged me this week is, is whether 
the return of Christ and, and Judgment Day really does shape everything that I do. Yeah, my plans, my dreams, my aspirations, my family life, my work life, is it all shaped by the reality that you and I are heading for a day where we're going to see Jesus, where this, this earth and these heavens are going to be wrapped up and we're going to be taken home. See, I know there are some churches that speak a lot about the return of Christ. You know, every war, every famine, every situation, and Jesus kind of knocking at the door, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But I don't think at this church we talk about the return of Christ enough. We're good at talking about the cross. We are very good at talking about the cross and how at Calvary forgiveness was won, our sins are forgiven. Some of us are quite good about talking about the resurrection, you know, that we know for certain that death has been defeated, that, that we, we, are, we are forgiven, saved people. But I rarely hear people talk about the return of Jesus or Judgment Day. It's kind of dropped off our radar. It's interesting, in my job, I, I meet a lot of people who are, who are dying, who are facing death. And it doesn't matter whether they're young or whether they're old. When, when you're meeting with somebody who knows that they are dying, let me tell you what they don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about their house. They don't want to talk about their finances. They don't want to talk about their, uh, their, their kids or their entertainment or their CD collection or the movies. What they want to talk about is eternity. How can they be sure? How can they be sure that they're heading for heaven? Because when you are facing death, suddenly that day called Judgment Day is, is a reality. And yet I fear that most of us just live this life presuming we're going to live to we're 60, 70, 80 or 90. And then just when we're a bit closer, we start to think about Judgment Day. And Peter is a great teacher. He just repeats the same thing again and again and again and again. Just remember, 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 Jesus is coming back. I want to do two things this morning. I want to make sure you're certain about Judgment Day, and I want to make sure that you're living in light of it. That you, you, the reality of Judgment Day is on your radar, and then you're living in light of that, so it shapes everything you do. Because in Peter's day, according to verse 4, there were scoffers. He says, they will say, Where's this coming that he promised? The word there is perusia, it's the return of a king. When you, when you think about the return of Jesus, please don't, please don't think about his first coming. If you think about his first coming, you think about an obscure uh, little baby who comes where only a few people see him. The return of Christ is glorious, and every eye will see him. It will be spectacular, it will be final, it will be universal. And Peter calls it the day of the Lord. That's there in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's there again, back in verse 7. It's called the day of judgment there. The day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Or down in verse 12, he uses the word, the day of God. That's what we're talking about. The day that the prophets spoke about, the day that Jesus predicted when, when God will intervene in history for one final time and his enemies will be judged and his, his people will be saved. When Peter wrote this letter, it's about 30 years after the resurrection. And so you can imagine it, if you're a Christian in these days, you're thinking, 
well, it hasn't happened yet. I've waited 30 years. It's a long time, isn't it? And we're still waiting 2,000 years later. I don't know about you, but I get impatient waiting for 10 minutes. You know, I stand outside church, I've got an appointment, and they haven't SMSed me to tell me they're running late. I think, oh, they can't be coming. They must have forgotten. We've waited 2,000 years. So what's happened? Has, has God forgotten? Was Jesus wrong to promise? Is, is that what they're scoffing about? We'll look at it. Verse 4. They say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on since the beginning of creation. No, the world just keeps on spinning. Nothing ever changes. God is not really in control. But verse 5, they deliberately forget. They've chosen to forget creation. They've chosen to forget that God made this world with just a single word. God spoke and the world came into existence. And they've chosen to forget, verse 6, the flood. When God destroyed the whole world with just a word. They've forgotten that. And therefore they've forgotten, verse 7, that by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. And you want to say to them, well, why have you forgotten? Why have you forgotten that God created the world? Why have you forgotten the flood? Why have you forgotten that Jesus Christ is going to come back? I'll tell you why. It tells us in verse 3. They're scoffing and they're following their own evil desires. They're actually enjoying living their little self-centered, sinful lives that they choose to forget they're heading for Judgment Day. And I just wonder whether that's some of us here this morning. We don't really want Jesus to come back. Let's think about it. If Jesus doesn't come back, there is no Judgment Day. And if there's no judgment day, it means that you and I can just keep on living the only little sinful lives that we want to live. Because we're accountable to nobody. Is that why we don't think about return of Christ? Because we enjoy living for self. We enjoy living for pleasure. And we choose to forget what God has told us that we're heading for a day called judgment day. Or maybe you've just you've just contained your God. Because the the horrors of Judgment Day are just too horrific. It is pretty horrific. Verse 7, it says that the heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. Because God has promised back in Genesis 9 that he will not destroy the world again by water, but he will destroy it by fire. And what's this day going to be like? Verse 10. It'll be sudden, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You won't know when it's going to happen. And the heavens will disappear with a roar. Uh, the heavens are the spiritual realms. The skies will disappear with, with a roar. That's like that sort of that cracking when you, you, you put something in a roaring open fire. And the elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth, and look at that word, everything in it will be laid bare. I get the picture of the, you know, those, sort of the, those sort of Xbox games or the, the Game Boy things where you know, you're just destroying everything and the earth is going and the sun is going and the moon is going and the people are being shot everywhere. and It's that big sort of catastrophic picture. But what shocked me was that, that those few words, everything in it will be laid bare. 
Nothing will survive. On that day, everything that you've trusted in or relied on will be gone. Your securities, your idols, everything that you put your hope in is just destroyed. When I was at school, as a, a guy in my class when we were 15, and uh, he came to school one, one morning, and the previous night his house had been burnt down. I don't really know someone who's actually lost everything in a house fire. As we sat and, and we became friends over the years, one thing really struck me, that that event, the burning down of his house, just radically changed his view on things. Because the CD collection had gone, but that's okay, because you could buy new CDs, and the, the TV had gone, but you can buy a new TV, and his clothes has gone, but you can buy new clothes. And uh, What really mattered most to this person was actually people and relationships, because you, know, you can't replace those. It's not stuff, it's not things, it's real relationships. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, that on that day, everything, your, your CD collection, your clothes, your gadgets, your furniture, it will all go, but what matters is people and souls and relationships. And it is horrific. It is totally horrific. You know, the... The tsunami is like a, like a pimpet compared to this judgment day and the hurricane Katrina is like a gentle breeze and the toppling of, these, of those twin towers on September 11th is just like a speck compared to the utter destruction and devastation of the whole world. And I don't think that most of us have a God who we think is really powerful enough to do that. Do we? Do, do you really believe that at a word God just made a mountain and the trees, and the valleys, and the hills, and at a word, he just completely destroyed this earth, and at a word, he can completely, utterly destroy this world again. Is your God big enough for that? Or maybe you just made your God predictable, and limited, and containable. Or maybe you don't think about Judgment Day because you'd rather just stick your head in your sand, and you know, it's like choosing to ignore the credit card bill, isn't it? I mean, the credit card bill arrives, you stick, in your, stick your head in your hand, in your sand, pretend it's not real, and you'll deal with that later. Now, what does Peter say? Verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Don't forget it. Think about it. Let it shape you. Remember it. So why is God delayed? And the scoffers think he's delayed because he's weak or he's forgetful or he's unfaithful but why does God say he's delayed the return of Christ it's a beautiful verse verse 8 with the Lord the day is like a thousand years and with a thousand years like a day the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance please don't read these verses like a mathematical formula you know one day because a thousand years, two days because two thousand years, so it's about two days now in God's sight. He's just saying God is eternal. God doesn't experience time as we do. And so what seems to us like an intolerably long time for God is just the click of a finger. So why has God delayed? The answer's there in verse nine. Because he is patient with you. 
it's just this amazing, loving God who cares for you enough to be patient with you, to give you time to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, and come to repentance. And God's patience for sinners is throughout the whole Bible. Think back in Genesis chapter 3, when, when, when God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he could have just destroyed them there and then. But he didn't. He was patient. He wanted them to realize what they'd done. He was merciful. He wanted them to be saved. And says, our God is more patient than they will ever know or imagine. He longs for people to be saved. Not everyone will be saved, but God deliberately delays the end so that more and more and more and more people can enjoy heaven. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, please understand how patient God has been with you. Just think back to that time when you didn't know Christ. Think back to the time when you were living for self, finding your security in things, being deliberately willful and disobedient, and God all that time was waiting patiently and being patient with you, waiting for the day when, when he, would, he would bring Christ to you and bring you forgiveness. God has been more patient with me than I've imagined. If Jesus Christ came back 20 years ago, I would be in hell. Because 20 years ago, I was living for myself and not for Jesus. And I'm just thankful that God's been patient with me. And that's why he's delayed his return. So there are people out there this morning who do not know Christ. And he's being patient. So that's the reality, that's the, the certainty. Please, do you understand that God is powerful enough to do it? He, he will do it as an absolute certainty. He's just being patient. So what are the consequences? What does this mean for us? What, how should the, the return of Christ change you this morning? Well, Peter asks the question in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? If you stop the sentence there, just cover the rest of the verse, what would you say? Since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What would you say? I ought to rush around doing lots of stuff for God and trying to convert as many people as I possibly can? I should just bury my head in the sand and just be this, sort of, this monk who lives in isolation and doesn't talk to anybody because I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. He doesn't say that. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You ought to look forward to the day. He repeats that at the end of verse 13. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And that's again in verse 14. Since then, dear friends, you're looking forward to this. He's saying, live today looking forward to that day. Live today eagerly waiting for that day. It's like if, if you're pregnant and you know you're about to give birth and there's last few weeks before you give birth, you know, the bag's packed, you know it's coming and, and it shapes your, your, your every day, doesn't it? You don't do certain things if you know you're about to give birth. You don't you know, hop on the plane and go to the other side of the world or go and visit in the middle of a jungle where there's no hospital because you're waiting for this thing to happen and you're looking forward to it. Well, not the pain, but what's going to come afterwards. And so what kind of people should you be? Holy, 
and godly. And the word holy just means set apart, different, living for the glory of your Savior, not for the glory of yourself. The word godly just means being like your God. Living holy and godly lives, different lives, set apart for Jesus. As you look forward, as you wait, and you speed his coming. He's kind of saying, if we all lived holy and godly lives, if the church really did look different from the world, then just perhaps more and more people would actually come to know their saviour. I've got friends who are heading off for the mission field. Their second term now. And watching them prepare to go on the mission field was extraordinary because they were heading off to a country they didn't know. And so what they did was that they spent some time learning a language. Could it be stupid to arrive in the country not knowing a language? And they spent some time getting to know the culture and, and learning the food and eating the food and they were preparing themselves for where they were heading. And so when they arrived in this new country, it wasn't a complete utter shock. And that's kind of what Peter's saying. You know, if you know where you're heading, you know you're going to be with Jesus, you know you're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth where there's no sin and no suffering and no sickness, and you know it's going to be glorious, surely you want to prepare yourself now for that day. It's crazy, you know, that you would choose to live ungodly, unholy lives now, and when you reach that last day, you go, oh, wow, this is so different. You want to get yourself ready and prepare yourself for that day. And Peter says the way to do that is to live holy and godly lives. It's more challenging in verse 14. He says, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. It's the language used of the, the sacrificial animals, the, the lambs without blemish. It's the language used of, of our Lord Jesus, who was a lamb without blemish. That's your goal, to be spotless and blameless. And you'll never achieve it. But you should strive for it. How are you going to do this? How are you going to live holy, godly lives? Very simply, know who you are now and know who you're going to be then. Know who you are now. If you're in Christ this morning... If you've come to the cross and you, you've accepted Jesus as your saviour, God actually sees you as blameless now. God sees you as holy because you're covered in the blood of Jesus. So just be who you are. Be who God sees you. And know who you're going to be. You're going to be transformed into his likeness. You're going to see him in glory. So just be who you are and be who you're going to be. Holy, pure, set apart for God. And just be on your guard. Verse 17. Since you know this, just be aware so you won't be carried away, so you won't be led astray by these false teachers who try and invent these things and seduce you and boast these empty words. They're just scoffers. But be aware of that. But instead, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the way you live holy, godly lives, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is the one who has the power to judge. He's our Savior. He's the one who's rescued us. And if you love him, if you really know him, if you really love him, you want to know more and more of him. 
So why are we so satisfied with where you were at as Christians? It's like any relationship. The more you know somebody, the more you love them, the more you love them, the more you want to know them. And that's all God, God is saying. Look, you, you know my grace. You know Jesus. We'll just grow more and more and more and more in knowledge of him. Obey him more, fill your mind with him more, just marvel at Jesus more, delight in Jesus more, grow in that grace, never shift from grace. And if you're doing that, then you'll want to see him. You'll long to see him. And you will pray, come Lord Jesus. Because really, maybe that is the real reason we don't look forward to the return of Jesus. Because we're just not so in love with him now. And if you were in love with him, and if you really didn't know him, you'd pine to see him, and you'd pine to spend eternity with him. It's a challenge for me. John Stott's words, Good morning, Lord Jesus. Please come back today. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Please come back today. I pray you'd pray that prayer and live those holy and godly lives.